So if you're in your Bibles at Isaiah chapter 55, we're going to read verse 3, then we'll skip down to verse 6. Isaiah 55, 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We're going to talk about this today. The fact that God pardons and he pardons abundantly. It's an Old Testament scripture, but this is a New Testament reality and truth all through the Bible. When the Bible says, when God says, and that's the Lord speaking, that I will abundantly pardon. Abundantly means to excel, to heap or to heap up. Okay, it means to multiply. It means to have plenty. God has plenty of pardon. He has plenty of mercy, has plenty to heap up on the on behalf of the sinners. And there's a passage and I'll just read it. But from Numbers chapter 14, where where, uh, Moses is having this discourse with the Lord, he says, the Lord is long suffering and of great mercy. This is one after one of Israel's many sins where they tempted the Lord and God brought judgment. The Lord is long suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people. This is Moses plea interceding for the people. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now, and the Lord said, So as soon as he's crying out for mercy and pardon for the people, the Lord responded and the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. I think one of the things that brings God glory is his his mercy. One of the things that glorifies God is the fact that he pardons sinners. Every God doesn't do this. You know what I mean when I say every God? Every God that's worshipped by men and called God is not merciful and kind and forgiving to sinners. There's a balance that weighs out. If a human being's good outweighs their bad in their minds and according to their God, they're going to make it into their paradise, their heaven, whatever follows. They'll find the favor of of their God. But one of the things that glorifies the Lord, not that we sin, one of the things that glorifies the Lord is that He is a God of mercy and that He pardons our iniquity. And, and it, it glorifies the Lord. His desire in his heart is to forgive. I know that you hear this. I know that you know it. It's going to be a simple message this morning. But the fact is that our God would much rather, we know it from the Word of God, we know it from who he is and his character and his heart, much rather pardon iniquity, forgive iniquity, wash away sins, restore sinners unto himself, bring people to himself, bring people to heaven, make, heal them. Make their life right and whole than to judge and condemn. He judges and condemns. The Bible says, He that believeth not is condemned already. Why? It's based on faith. Because he believeth not in in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But God will condemn and He does condemn. He condemns unrighteousness and sin and unbelief. He condemned it through His Son for those that put their faith in Him. 
that, that condemnation is put away. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so I just want to talk about this morning the, the, the there is a, a perfect plea. It's kind of like an old, I guess, Christian slogan or song or saying, the perfect plea for sinners. Perfect plea for sinners. We have that. There is a perfect plea for sinners. There is abundance, forgiveness with the Lord. There is abundant mercy. There is abundant pardon, like we looked at in Isaiah and also in, in Numbers. There is abundant pardon for sinful men because that's who needs it. Sinful men and women and people. The word pardon means to forgive or to spare. Pardon me. Lord God, pardon me. What are we saying? Forgive me, spare me. We don't have any leg to stand on other than the mercy of God that we're calling upon. I've sinned. I'm guilty of sin. The wages of sin is death. I'm crying out for mercy. God, pardon me. It's not just like, you know, walking through a busy street and bump into somebody and say, pardon me. It's forgive me, Lord. Spare me. Spare me. Because you have... You are just and holy and righteous and you have every just right to judge me for my sin. I'm, I'm without excuse. But I'm saying, God, pardon me. Spare me. Forgive me. And there's, this is for sinful men. Almighty God, our God, and only our God, the one true living God, is a God of mercy. He is a God of pardon. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of love. He is holy. He's just. He's mighty. He's righteous. But He is also a God of love. They don't contradict each other. We talk about it all the time. God can forgive sinners. He can bring the most vile sinners like you and me. Like the Apostle Paul who's before a blasphemer and injuries and a persecutor of Christ and of Christians. He can bring a, a man like Saul of Tarsus to His holy heaven with Him forever and not have to compromise His righteousness, His holiness, His sense of justice, or, or, or equity, or judgment, or anything like that. He can do that through Christ. He can do it because He's a God of mercy and of pardon and he abundant pardon. And it, He has it in store for His people. He, has the, he is a God, not only our God, that is able to save, to deliver, to, to restore sinners unto Himself. Amen? To restore sinners unto Himself. And I thank God for that. He has graciously and abundantly extended to sinful men mercy and grace. And don't ever forget that, and I need to remind myself of this, that, that the Lord has taken and continues to take the initiative in our relationship with Him. Lost men did not seek after God. Lost men do not on their own seek after God. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that does good. There's no, not one. There's none righteous. None that seeks after God, the psalmist said. On their own. People worship the stars, the moon, everything. They may have some sense because God put it in them that there is a God. But the one who has taken the initiative to save sinners and bring sinful men unto Himself is the Lord. He still does it today. He always does. He gets the credit for that. He gets the glory for that. And so He has extended to sinful men mercy and grace. 
and pardon and restoration. And he's a, that extent, extension has come through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's always been, we just read it in the Old Testament, a God of mercy and grace and pardon and forgave sins and forgive sins. He has extended it most wholly and perfectly through His Son, Jesus Christ. Perfectly. The Bible says that of His fullness, in John chapter 1, to John to me is the Gospel that lays out Christ and His deity more completely than the other Gospels. Each Gospel has its purpose, okay? But John lays Him out, and it starts out, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. It doesn't start with His birth in a manger and so forth. Two of the other Gospels cover that. But He starts right out with who He is. Who Christ is. And the Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, His beauty. And then He says, of all His fullness have we received and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said this before. It's important that we know that God, God was gracious and a God of truth before Christ came to the earth. Because for one thing, Christ is eternal. He's the eternal Son in eternity past. So he was, God has always been a great God of grace and mercy. But it says, I think the, the thought in those two scriptures in John 1, of His fullness have all we received in grace for grace. That Christ brought grace in His fullness the fullness of grace, the fullness of truth. I am the truth. I am the way. He came and He brought to men most perfectly and clearly and completely and evidently set before us Christ. And grace and truth came perfectly through Christ. God's always been a God of grace and truth though. But He came perfectly to us and extended that to sinful men. There is more than enough there's a more than enough in the Lord Jesus Christ. When, he say, when we say that it's abundant, He will abundantly pardon. Okay, there's a more, more than enough in Christ. There's more than enough love for sinful men and for you and for me. There's more than enough blood that Jesus shed to cleanse away our guilty stain of sin that we've committed. There's more than enough power in the Lord to forgive all of our sins. And that's a lot. There's a more than enough grace in the Lord for the undeserving and disobedient and wayward and rebellious. If he or she, that's the unbelieving or disobedient, will turn to the Lord, turn by, by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace always is going to be more. However much the sin is. The, the sin for Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? For America for today. The grace abounds more. No doubt that sin, that sin abounds. But the Bible says grace does much more abound. For every sinful person on the planet, every sinful person in our country, every crook, every dishonest person, immoral person, every murderer, every thief, every rapist, every whatever it may be, grace abounds more if they'll turn to the Lord because it comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what he tells us in his word now before all lost men before we came to the Lord we were enemies of God every lost man right now that is still lost in their sin is an enemy of God 
And we have a plea. We have a perfect plea for the Lord. In the Old Testament, when the Lord was preparing the, the Israelites to take the promised land, he, he commanded that they set up uh, cities of refuge. I know that you've read it before. I think there were six. I believe there were six cities of refuge that were uh, spread out geographically and, and spread out evenly. Okay, some on this side of the Jordan River, some on the other side of the Jordan River, and they were spread out. So if somebody killed somebody, whether they were just guilty and committed murder, or whether they uh, killed somebody accidentally, until all that was settled, their motive and, and so forth, they could flee to one of these cities. And wherever you lived, you were within a reach, reaching distance of one of these cities. They could flee to that city and they would have safety to where the avenger of blood, to where the, let's say, I killed somebody and his brother saw it and they wanted to kill me. Before they could kill me, I could get to that city of refuge and by law, I was protected there till the priest, till God settled the whole thing and what was going on. There were cities of refuge, okay? And the believer today, that, that was something specific to Israel, to God's people, but I believe it's a wonderful picture of what all men have in Christ. We have a city of refuge. We have a place of refuge specifically, not just from you know, bad things or sicknesses or harm that would come to us. We have a city of refuge in Christ for our own sin. Our own sin that's working to destroy us. Our own sin that's trying to separate us from God. We have a city of refuge to come and to fall upon the feet of Jesus. And say, you love me, Lord. You died. I'm calling upon your grace and mercy. I'm falling right here. You're also my judge and my king and my God. But you're my savior and you're my friend. And I'm falling upon you right now. And I'm calling upon you right now. We have a city of refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we were lost, we were enemies of the Lord. And we weren't simply neutral. A lot of people, I think, when they don't know Christ, or, I don't believe like Gary and Angel do, but, you know, I don't think I'm an enemy of God. If you're lost, you're an enemy of God. The Bible says that. We were without hope. We were strangers and pilgrims from God. We were aliens of the Lord. We were enemies of God in our minds. I will just read a couple of scriptures here real quickly. I'll just read them to you. In Colossians 1.20, it says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, because we weren't at peace with God before we came to Christ, but how was that made? That peace made through faith in Jesus, specifically by the blood of His cross. By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. The picture is He's wanting to bring, He's a loving God. He's wanting to get in here. Get in here close to me. Your sin is what separated you from me. And I am drawing you in. This is a God of grace and mercy and love. To reconcile all things unto Himself. Uh, and it, I'll skip down. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. We're enemies of God. You weren't neutral. You weren't just, well, I'm not really a Christian or born again, but I'm not certainly not a Satanist or an enemy of God. If we were lost, we were enemies of God. The Bible tells us that. 
you were sometimes enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he redeemed in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Ephesians 2 says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants and promise, having no hopes and without God in the world. We couldn't have been, before you came to Christ, don't think you were not that bad. You and I were that bad. And we were that desperate. And we were that separated from God because of our own sin. We were that. I certainly wasn't a Hitler and Osama bin Laden or somebody like that. You were that bad. You were that bad and so was I. I was an enemy of this God of love. Okay? And, and who loves their enemy? Who, who goes out of their way to help their enemy? Who thinks of ways that they can help their enemy? Who tries to make a sacrifice for their enemy to try to, to reach out to help them? Nobody does that. No, but the best of people don't do that. God does that. God does that and He commands us to do it and we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But if I was an enemy of God and yet He reached out to reconcile me to Himself, nobody does that. I don't care. You say what you want. Nobody does that. They're their enemy for a reason. That's why they're called your enemy. You don't reach out naturally to just help them. You don't reach out naturally and actually sacrifice your own well-being for them. But you know what the Bible says? The very simple message this morning, y'all. But you know what the Bible says? God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. It's a world that was enemies with God. You were that. I was that. He gave His only begotten Son. There was a sacrifice made for the enemy because God loves us. The Bible tells us, I'll just read it from Romans chapter 5, you know it, but God commended His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody's going to help their friend. You come butter me up all the time, you come give me a bunch of things and you bend over backwards to help me. I'm glad you scratched my back. I'll scratch yours. I'm glad to help. People are glad to do that. Lots of people do that. But while we were sinners, enemies of God, He commended or displayed or proved or gave His love towards us. Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And it's just the goodness of God. Again, the mercy of the Lord. The Bible, the Lord doesn't want men to be His enemies. Y'all know that? We were enemies of God, but the Lord doesn't want any enemies. He doesn't want men that He created in His image, that He created in His likeness, men that He loves, men that He desires to fellowship with Him and and. And, and Him with them. Men that the eternal Son of God became flesh and lived for and died for and rose again for to become that final sacrifice for the sins of the world. He does not want men to be His enemies. Not one. There are people that are our enemies. There are people that are currently the enemies of the Lord. But He doesn't desire men to be His enemies at all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. What was Jesus here for? What's the whole point? People really misunderstand, I think, a lot of times. And it would be people that don't really know the Lord. 
They have some thoughts about Jesus. The Muslims have some thoughts about Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses have some thoughts about Jesus, but they say he did not on the cross, that that was Michael the archangel that did that. There's a lot of people that have thoughts about the Lord. And the Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That's what he was doing. He's taking people that don't deserve to go to heaven and fitting them for heaven. He's taking people that are hell-bound sinners and deserving of that. They're deserving it because there are sins against Almighty God. He's taking those people and striving and laboring and working to bring them to Himself. He wants, doesn't want any enemies. He wants people to be saved. He wants men to be saved. Do I want them to be saved as much as He does? I'm going to go back to our series on the, on the, uh, the Great Commission, right? I need God's heart for that. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Skip down a little further and this chapter says, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's how we're reconciled to the Lord. The Lord's call is this, come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. You know the passage, right? Isaiah 118. So what is he saying? He, he doesn't say, you know, go now. He's saying, come now. Reason together. Let's reason. You and me, a holy God and a sinful, puny, weak, wicked man who God could squash like a bug. And he says, come, let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is through faith in the Lord. People trusted in Christ before He came in the Old Testament. They trusted in the coming Savior then maybe they died before He came, but they still trusted in Him. Amen? We've talked about that. We have the full Gospel, and we understand that Christ has come and died and rose again. But y'all, the Lord is mightily and lovingly reaching out to sinners. He's mightily and lovingly reaching out to sinners. Now I want to say this before I go on. Don't take the fact that God is love. And He is. And the fact that He's gracious and merciful to sinners and pardons abundantly. And He's reaching out to reconcile men to Himself. A great sacrifice to Himself. Don't take that as being a weakness on His part. Don't take that as being, oh, well, sin's really not that bad then. He just loves me so much He can kind of overlook my sin. Don't minimize sin in magnifying the grace of God. And some people do that. We magnify the grace of God, and we should. You can't magnify it enough or too much. We magnify the love of God, His desire to reconcile men to Himself, His sacrifice through His Son Jesus to do that. We, we magnify that. But some people, on the other hand, might start elevating their own worth and say, well, I must not be really that bad. Or sin must not be that bad. Don't ever minimize your own sin or anyone else's sin. Jesus died for that. Don't misunderstand and mistake God's pursuit of sinful men, which He is pursuing after sinful men, as, as some type of a weakness or excuse or compromise for your sin. God doesn't ever overlook one sin. I say it all the time. There's not one sin that slips through the cracks. And because He's a God of grace and mercy and justice, it does not mean that God overlooks sin. It's dealt with one way. 
in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that cost his life. The eternal Son became flesh and died. And there's no, uh, there's nothing that adds to that or takes away from that. So don't ever minimize sin, whether it's in someone else's life or your own life. He's reaching out to sinners, and he's he's appealing to men to come by the Holy Ghost, by the Word of God, come to Him, return to Him, fall upon Him, call upon Him. He's calling us to, to turn to Him. In Psalm 86, 5, Thou art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon Thee. He's calling men to call upon Him. He's calling men to fall upon Him. Whoever falls on this rock shall be broken. That's a good thing. We're broken in our heart and contrite in our heart. And we come to an end of ourselves. And He takes us up there. And He gives us new life and forgives us. Whoever falls on this rock shall be broken. That's like falling at this altar in brokenness and saying, I give my life to Jesus. Okay? Whoever the rock falls upon it will grind it to powder. That's the judgment of God. Because they persisted in their sin. They persisted in their rebellion. They persisted in not being reconciled to God the only way they could be through faith in Jesus. They will be judged and condemned. That rock will fall upon them. Just listen to this verse in Ezekiel 33.11. Say unto them, this is God speaking to His prophet, speak to the people, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. How many of you know that? I think we might sometimes have thought differently about the Lord. He will destroy the wicked. There's no doubt about it. But it tells us His mindset towards that. As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from His way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Can you not hear the heart of love? Can you not hear the heart of a loving God crying out to His people? To people, turn ye, turn ye, turn ye. Why will you die? Turn to me and live. We have to turn to Christ. We turn to the Lord. We turn from our sin. He doesn't excuse it. God never excuses sin. He caught, there was a woman caught in adultery. You know the story in the, in the Gospels. The, the disciples, I mean the, the Pharisees who were hypocritical, didn't know God. Uh, they were of their father, the devil. And they were going to want to see what Jesus would do this woman. They threw her at the foot of Jesus. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And you know the story. He says, let he that's without sin cast the first stone. Well, they had at least enough conviction from the Lord to know they weren't without sin. Amen? Starting to the oldest to the youngest, they turned and left one by one. They look up, all the accusers are gone. So the, is the lady going to say, okay, now he, he just overlooked my sin. Everything's great. That's not what happened. She, he says, where are, you, where are your accusers or condemners? Says, no man condemned thee? Well, looks like not. No man, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and what? Have a great day. Go and sin no more. Don't ever think that he takes it lightly. He never, ever excuses it. He forgave because he's a forgiver. The commandment is, he, go and sin no more. Okay? There was a man that laid by the pool of Bethesda. Right? The angel would come trouble the water. And, and it was a weird thing, but that's what the Bible says. And the first person who stepped in, periodically when the angel would come trouble the water, they were healed. 
So there's a bunch of sick people laying around this pool waiting for the angel to come and stir the water. And there's, there's this man that had been laying for 38 years, the Bible tells us. 38 years. And Jesus comes and says, will you be made whole? Well, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the angel troubles the water. And it, it's almost like the Lord saying, I didn't ask you that. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But it's, I get the feeling he almost says, I didn't ask you that. I said, will you be made whole? And, and the Lord, he says, he says, yes, Lord. And the Lord touches, touches him, has compassion on him, and heals him. And you know what he told him afterwards? So the man, the man that was lame for 38 years is now healed. And the Lord says, go and sin no more. lest the worst thing come upon you. The Lord told him that. What my point in, in these couple of, of biblical illustrations is just to, to show that though we're magnifying the grace of God, and the mercy of God and his desire to reconcile sinful men unto himself and his love bending over backwards to save men is never a minimizing of sin, though. There's never a minimizing of sin. There's never an excusing of sin. Pardon and excusing are two different things. The pardon has to do with Jesus dying on the cross. Somebody died for that sin. You were going to die for it, or you can ask God to forgive you, and my son already did die for it. But somebody's dying for that sin of yours. Don't think it's light. Don't minimize it. For that little white lie you tell to get out of uh, trouble or an argument or whatever it may be, Jesus died for it. Don't minimize it. In magnifying the grace and the pardon of God, don't minimize your own sin or the sin of another. Jesus died for it. Amen? He will forgive it. He will forgive it. Now we know that He's this God, God of mercy and grace, you know, and forgiving uh, to lost men. And we appeal to men through the gospel, like Paul. Be we beseech you, be reconciled to God. But God wants us to know it this morning as a truth for us. And this is how I want to kind of bring this to a close this morning. God wants us to know it for a truth of uh, as believers that. When we sin as believers, it's that same God of grace and pardon and mercy. It's the same God that, that in the same truth that we stand upon. If you're here, a young person, or a man, a woman, a young person, you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is still pardoning us when we sin. He wants us to know that He is abundant and His pardon for us as sinners. This, this is for someone here this morning. I really believe it, that it's for us, that we've been made part of the family of God. We're already reconciled unto God, indwelt by His Spirit. And the Lord wants us to know that if, if we've sinned, if you've sinned, if you are right now in maybe some type of sinful state, Maybe you already committed a sin and asked God to forgive you and it's under the blood. But if you are in some type of sin or backslidden state or wayward state, Clinton used to say that if there was ever a time in your life you were closer to God than you are right now, then you're backslidden. I know what he means by that, okay? You're going one way or the other. And so if you are have sinned, if, if we as Christians have I'm talking about true believers have strayed, disobeyed, fallen into some type of sin. God wants us to know that He will forgive us. 
you say, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm an usher. I'm a this. I'm a that. And, and I couldn't admit or humble myself to be forgiven of some sin. You better. You better. And I better. We ought to live humbly before our God because He's still a God of pardon and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And there are things that may just between, be between you and God. Maybe there are things be between you and your God and your pastor you want to share. And maybe there are you and your spouse. There are times that we do confess sin to other people. I don't believe that's every sin and every time we commit a sin. I think if we're in sin and coming out of sin, it does good to have somebody that we can trust to go to and hold us accountable and confess those sins to. But my point is this morning that if you are a Christian and you've fallen into some type of sin, God will forgive you. He will pardon you. He will pardon us. He will restore us to a right relationship and fellowship with Himself. Sin separates us from God. That is just a biblical truth, a biblical fact. A lost man's already separated. He's an enemy of God. The blood of Jesus Christ. If they put their faith in the Lord and believe the gospel, they're saved. That distance morally is closed instantly. But as a believer, I'm still in Christ and I can stray in my fellowship because of sin. And it brings a separation. I would say this. If you, have, oh, if you had a wayward child that was away from God and away from you, and they're in sin, they're away from God and they're away from you, wouldn't you want them to be reconciled? Wouldn't you give anything for them to be reconciled and all to be well between you and them and the Lord? Yes, you would. Wouldn't God? Doesn't God? So if you're His child and you stray in some type of sin, I know that you know these as facts. God wants us to know it in our hearts and He wants us to live it and hang on to it and live by it. That if you are His child and you've strayed from the Lord, He is desiring you to be reconciled to Himself. He is not ready with a big club to whack you over the head. If you persist in your sin, there will be consequences and judgment for that. You won't get away with it. If we return to, unto the Lord, we're going to find this pardon and rest. He, he will forgive us. He will restore us into a right relationship with Himself. He supplies to us grace and pardon abundantly. There is a sure way back. Have you ever gotten so far out? I pray you haven't. But have you ever gotten, as a true Christian, so far away from the Lord, you think in your mind you're so far away from the Lord, I can't even see the way back? Has anybody ever done that? Maybe you haven't. But I know that people can get so far down the wrong road, they can't even see clearly to get back. There's a way back. The same way you got saved is through the blood of Jesus Christ. God has su supplied abundantly through His Son Christ. I am the way the truth, and the life. What's my way back to God? Same way you came to God. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through His blood. He, he has provided the way through Himself. You know how it comes through confession of our sin? That means to agree with God like we talked about in Sunday school. And acknowledging of our sin before the Lord. And repenting of our sin, which is a turning from our sin. Turning from our sin. Turning fully to Him. And y'all... Can I just stress this to, to myself, to all of us? Make no excuse for your sins. Don't give a cloak for your sin, the Bible says. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to put on good appearances. Even when you're just by yourself, 
Don't make an excuse for I'm poor, so I had to steal. What does it uh, say in, uh, in the Proverbs? I think it's in the Proverbs. For, you know, excuse me if I'm wrong, but where where the he says, "Don't give me riches or poverty. If I'm riches, I'll forget. If I have a lot of riches and wealth in this life, I'll forget all about God and think I got it on my own. If I got poverty, I'll be tempted to steal and then I'll sin against God. Um, don't don't make excuses for your sin. Acknowledge it." Acknowledge it before the Lord. And then we're, we're forgiven. When we do this, y'all, by faith, guess what? We will always, always find pardon. Always. It almost seems too good to be true. This is true for a lost man. Any lost man that repents, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him for the dead, we shall be saved. And it goes on a little bit more. But a lost man will always find that with Christ. A saved man will find that too if you've strayed into some type of sin. The Bible does talk about besetting sin. The, dog, dog, the, the Bible does talk about Christians who might stray off into sin and come back. You might have strayed into the world for five minutes. You might have strayed in the world for five months. But the way back is still through Jesus. You might have dabbled your toes in sin and worldliness for one evening and watched something on TV you shouldn't and drank something you shouldn't have had to drink at some party you shouldn't have ever been at. You might have done it for, for the last six months. The way back is still through Jesus. Number one, we're not getting away with the sin. Number two, there's abundant pardon. How do we find it? By returning. By returning to the Lord. I want to read this scripture. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. That sounds like a strange combination, but that's what he says. In returning and to the Lord, he's speaking to Israel when they were backslidden, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. That means they could have been, but they chose not to be. The Lord says in Isaiah as well, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. We look to the Lord, we return to the Lord, we come back through the blood of Jesus and through Him only. We acknowledge our sin before God. You know what that is? We just fall before the Lord. And I don't care if you've done it a thousand times or one time. And we say, Lord, I have sinned. I didn't sin, but I kind of, you can kind of excuse me because I got laid off my job and I got four flat tires and this happened and finances are tight and all my friends left. No. I have sinned. I have sinned. I love that about it. There's a big difference between Saul and David, and to me that's the biggest difference. One's after God's heart, one's not. And I'm talking about King Saul. When Saul had, had sinned, he, he just makes excuses. Samuel said, why didn't you kill Agag and the king and all these sheep? What is this bleeding of sheep I hear? He disobeyed the Lord. Well, the, 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 people, the people thought this would be a good idea. To sacrifice to your God, by the way. He made excuses for his sin, a cloak for his sin. God took the kingdom from, his, from him. David sinned, I've said it before, in some ways I think much worse than, than King Saul. Had a man murdered, an innocent man that was one of his soldiers and fought for him and took his wife to be his wife and committed adultery. And, and, and when uh, Nathan comes and says, you're the man who's done this, this sin, David says, I've sinned. Period. 
well, I thought this, I thought that, I thought nobody would know it. He said, I've sinned. I've, I've sinned. You, you're not going to die. God's put away your sin. Put it away. He didn't have time to shed tears of repentance or anything yet. You're not going to die. God's put away your sin. I bet he shed a, bunch, shed a bunch after that. But the point is, when we return to the Lord, in returning in rest, you shall be saved. It's a returning to the Lord. David said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. But the Lord sees it all. We can try to hide it and cover it. Put on a, a pretty face in the coat and tie and come to church and stand behind the pulpit if that's the case. But if we have sin in our hearts, we need to acknowledge it to the Lord. I acknowledge my sin to thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Hallelujah. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Then he says, Selah. Think about it. Think about it. Think about what you've been forgiven. Think about the mercy of God. All he did was acknowledge it. Confess it to God. He didn't do penance. The next 10 years, I'll never sin again. I'll never do this again. He acknowledged his sin to God and confessed it. And thou forgavest me the iniquity of my sin. He's a faithful God. And I'll bring this to a close. I found Jesus personally. I know you have as well. I'm not telling you don't anything you don't know. But I'm making a personal testimony. I have found Jesus to be a friend. I have found Jesus to be faithful. I have found him to be to love at all times. I have found him to be a forgiver. I have found him to be and to do exactly what his word says he'll be and do. I've found that. I haven't found some weak spot where his word says this, but it didn't quite measure up there. Yes, he's a God of love, but he didn't love me back such and such a time. I have found him to be exactly who he says he is in his word. And I have found him to do exactly what he says in his word. Closing with, with two thoughts. The devil tries to convince us, I believe, when it comes to our own sin, of two different things. Number one, your sin's not that bad. You know, he already loves you and, and you're not nearly as bad as those people over there. He tries to convince us of that it's a lie. He's a father of lies. Your sin is that bad and you need to acknowledge it to God. Whether you think it's a little sin or not, whether you only did it once and not a thousand times, you need to acknowledge it to God and ask him to forgive you and be restored to God. It is that big a thing. Other thing I think he tries to, to con, uh, convince believers, I'm talking to Christians now, when it comes to our sin, is that you've done that so many times, Randy, you've committed that sin so many times and promised you wouldn't so many times and asked God to forgive you so many times. He's, not, he's tired of it. God's tired of it. He's not going to listen to you anymore. He's not going to have mercy upon you anymore. That's enough. You know, you... And, and, and partly, I think our, our carnal mind and carnal reasoning agrees with the devil a lot of times. On one of those two, either my sin's not that bad or it's so bad and I'm so bad and God's tired of forgiving me because I've been to him every day for the last 30 years of my salvation for that same sin. 
and both are, are, lo- are not true. God, that's our enemy, and I don't want my flesh agreeing with the enemy. God says he's plenteous of mercy and ready to forgive. And there's periods there. We talked about in Sunday school. Don't put a question mark where God put a period. He says he's ready to forgive. He said he's abundant in pardon and mercy and will abundant, abundantly pardon our sins. And so we need to agree with God. He is going to do what he says he's going to do, and that is forgive sinners when we genuinely turn to him and confess, acknowledge our sin, turn from it. His mercies are new every morning. And so I'm closing with these scriptures that that we opened with in in Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So there's something I'm told to do. I'm to to forsake that way and choose the, the way. The unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know what the Lord's saying? He's saying, come, come and live, come and be restored. He's saying to the Christian, come, come back out of that sin. Let's get things right back where there's nothing between you and me. You know, I think it was Spurgeon. You've heard the story where he walked with a couple of friends across the street and their horse and buggies, a busy street and a lot of traffic. And he falls down to his knees in the middle of the street, in a muddy street, with horses flying by him. And his friends are like, what in the world are you doing? What were you doing back there, falling in the street in the knees? There's traffic, you could have got killed. He said, it was a shadow that came between me and my, my Lord. So even if you're not this, what we would think, gross, immoral sinner, you're saved. When something comes into our lives, be quick to lay it before the Lord. Jesus is saying, come unto me. Come unto me and drink. Come unto me and be clean. Come unto me and be forgiven. Come unto me and be reconciled. Come unto me and live. D, you can, you can come up here if you would. i got two, two scriptures that I want to close with this morning. Turn with me if you would. This will be the last one we turn to. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 6. Jeremiah chapter, I'm sorry, 33. Jeremiah 33, 6 through 8. Behold, I will bring it health and cure, and I will cure them. So what was the Lord saying? I want to help. I want to cure. And will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return. And will build them as at the first. And I will cleanse them from their iniquity. Whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned. And where they have, whereby they have transgressed against me. The Lord saying they've sinned against me. But I'm, I'm going to restore them. I'm going to do it. We have to return. And returning and rest. In those days, I'm skipping down another passage in Jeremiah. In those days and at that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of the house of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. Think about it. People are going to look for the sin of Israel, and it won't be there. But we know how horribly they sin. They worship Baal under every, every high place and every tree. He said, they're going to look, why won't it be found? And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them. I will pardon them. 
It all comes to us and the Lord. Just you and your sin and the Lord. We don't need anything else or anybody else. We come to the Lord. These altars are open, y'all. And, and as I said, this might be a strange message. You say, well, we're, we're all Christians here. And, you know, why did, why did you preach that? I preached that because that's what the Lord wanted me to preach today. And He wants us to know for lost men that you're praying for, people that are our enemies in the government or wherever they may be, He will abundantly pardon if they return to Him. People look for their sin one day and it'll be gone. Why is it gone? Why are they new? Because Christ saved them. And He wants us to know as believers here this morning, whether we've got some little hidden sin or a bunch of hidden sin, or maybe you will tomorrow, you, I pray you don't. Wherever you are right now, maybe you've strayed far from the Lord, and you're putting on a good show for the rest of us, but there's abundance pardon for the Lord. So I wanted to close with this scripture. Y'all, the altars are, are open. We can spread out, find a place to meet with God and thank Him for His abundance of mercy and grace. Thank Him for the price that was paid for the sins of the world, but make it personal for my sin and your sin. Micah says this, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? Is Allah a God like this? Is some other God a God like this? No, they're not. They pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Father, we praise you and thank you this morning, God. We thank you that you're a God of mercy and not only your God of mercy, but that's what you delight in. We just read it in Micah. You delight in mercy. You delight in pardoning the sins of your people. You delight, God, in restoring people unto yourself, God. Forgive us if we ever, if I have ever looked at my sin lightly, or maybe compared my sin to someone I think is a really horrible sinner. Forgive me for minimizing the sin that cost Jesus his life in order to pay for it, to redeem me from it. Forgive us, God, if we've ever thought that you would not forgive us for some sin or a bunch of sins that we've committed. Forgive us if we've ever taken advantage of your grace, God. I pray that you would wash me in your blood. And I thank you that you are the perfect plea for sinners, that we have a city of refuge that we can flee to and be safe from our own sin we can flee to you, the one we've sinned against, and be forgiven and pardoned, Lord. If there's anybody here that's, and you're, you've walked off into sin for some time, God wants you to know that in returning and rest, you'll be saved. Like David, acknowledge your sin before the Lord. Don't run one more second, not one more day. Come back to the Lord, and he will abundantly pardon and deliver. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.